of you all with us and part of our house today at Harvest. And whether you're exploring faith and you're sort of checking out the Christian faith, whether you've been here a few times or whether you are a long-standing Christ follower, we're excited about this series and what it has for each one of us. I just wanted to challenge each of us. That phrase in the Bible where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. My challenge to each of us here today is, do we actually believe it? So it's easy for us to say it. Of course we know it's the way, the truth, and the life. But if we really believe it, do we care about telling other people? Do we care about living it to such an extent that he is life, he is truth, and he is the way? And I was just immensely challenged. And C.S. Lewis, just while we were worshiping, I wanted to read this out. Because catching vision from God is so important for us to see who he is. And this phrase is so powerful. C.S. Lewis, an amazing writer, um, chairs of Cambridge and Oxford, writers of Chronicles of Narnia. He said, when he was talking about Jesus and who Jesus was, he said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I, I just love the fact that Jesus was very clear on who he believed he was, and he didn't leave us open to anything other than those three options. And as wherever you are in the journey of faith, it's it's important for you to come to the standing of who he is before you can even ask him for the vision that he gives for your life, which Nehemiah had and which we're sharing about today. So we're in um, part three of our vision series. Ian did a brilliant um, job last week sharing about really what vision is, where it comes from, who it's for. He spoke about the power of vision and he spoke a bit of those of you here about their holiday and Gail going, we are going to Zanzibar and how that vision came to life in spite of sickness. And then he spoke how it begins as a concern and, and what that leads to and how it shouldn't really require immediate action, something you think about, something that you process. And then finally, the amazing peace as Christ follows that we have in any vision and anything he puts in our hearts is the fact that if it's of him, it's gonna happen. And that's the beauty of living under a sovereign God, is we have lots of plans and ideas and we seek God for advice and on where we should go, but at the end of the day, he makes it happen. And that's the privilege of it. And um, I just wanted to, um, Trevor in mind, me uh, singling him out, but something's been burning on Trev's heart, a real passion to say, I, I love fishing, and I would love to hang out with other men who enjoy fishing, I'd love to get their kids along, I'd love to build relationship with people, and this has been burning on his heart, and it's been brewing, and he heard the message, and he came and chatted to me, and he met with Ian, um, chatted to Kev and other fishermen, and it's in motion, it's amazing, the first one is set for 27th of January, at Kingfisher Park, just uh, there, uh, non-alcoholic, but full of fun and loads of fun, really wanting to bring truth and life. And I, I just want to honor you for, for, for really stepping out on your vision and just seeing on the group and people's excitement for it. It's just amazing to see it's something that Trev loves. It's something to see that he's passionate about. And then you step out in faith and you start to see this happen and you start to see it come to life. So there's something each one of you um, that God has for you to live out and for you to act on. That's a small example. So well done. I can't wait to see how it, how it comes about.
Great. We are picking up the story in Nehemiah 2 verse 9. If you have your Bibles, I would love you to head across there. Otherwise, it is going to be up as we go through. And I would love us to get along there. So we pick up the story Ian shared last week. And Nehemiah had spoken to the king. He'd had this vision on his heart from the Lord. And then he'd spoken to the king to get approval. Is it okay if I go back to my homeland to start to see this vision come to pass? He speaks to the king and he gets clearance. And then there's a period. He waited for that period of sort of three or four months. And then he, he obviously seeking the Lord. And then he heads out on his trip. And this is where we pick it up. So he's been traveling along. And then he says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. And I gave them the king's letters. Maybe a very simple start of the verse. But I love the fact that he acted. He thought on it. He waited. He took his time. But he actually acted on what God put on his heart. And that's why the first thing is that any vision God gives you, no matter how big or small, for your marriage, for your family, for your business, for something out in the community, it will take faith. It is impossible without faith because for God to be in it, there has to be an element of trusting and relying on Him. And if you can do it all in your own strength, then there isn't a reliance on God. So there will be an element of faith. And it could be just the element of faith that I'm going to do this even if I get verbally rejected. That, that might be as small or it might be as big as needing God to come through in an astronomical way for this even to happen. But from small to big, anything God gives you, He lays on your heart, it will take faith to make it happen. Listen to some of these powerful quotes as I was just researching and studying on faith. Francis Chan, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. Huge challenge. Huge challenge. Brother Andrew, famous for saying you can wash dishes for the glory of God. If your vision doesn't scare you, then both your vision and your God are too small. And that can be a vision for seeing your marriage be what you never thought it could be. It could be a vision for seeing the school that your kids are be what it could never be, or your business. It doesn't matter the scale, but the bottom line is, is that that vision you have should be something greater than you can do in your own strength. Rod Parsley, the power of faith is simply concentrating more on what you and God can do to the waves than the, what the waves can do to you. I love it, partnering with God for something big. And C.S. Lewis, again, if you can ever read his writings, go for it. The monotonous years, these are challenging for us not stepping out in faith. The monotonous years of middle-aged prosperity are excellent campaigning weather for the devil. As we get into middle-aged years, often you find at universities and particularly churches around university towns, there's a buzz and there's an excitement like you don't get anywhere else. Because at that age in life, often you're looking ahead and you're going, Lord, what do you have for me? And it's easy for us as we get older to just settle into the comfortable faith, which there actually isn't really such a thing. We're not really living the Christian faith if we think it's comfortable. But we can just settle into, we just go through the motions. We just go through it. And that's what Satan loves because he gets to stop us from doing what we should do in faith. And then Benjamin Franklin, many people die when they're 25, but they're not buried until they're 75. Huge challenge for us to keep living all out until we die. And a final one, Robert Schuller, I'd rather attempt something great for God and fail than attempt nothing for God and succeed. So why do I put those out there? Is because I want you to step out in faith. 
I want you to listen for what God says. And if you ask him and say, Lord, what would you have me do? And the small and the big, he will tell you. He will put things on your heart. Done it for Trev, done it for many others. He'll put it on your heart. And I want to challenge us today to step out in faith. We've got a big God who loves us, who's putting the ideas in our heart. Go for it in faith. Let's continue reading. So that's the first one. It's going to take faith. Nehemiah 2 verses from 9b. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So the king sent out Nehemiah with some of his royal guard because he knew that the decision that he had said for Nehemiah to do this was going to be met with conflict by many people in the surrounding areas. So although the king was giving it and he had absolute control, the Jews had been despised and prevented from building up and growing as a people for many years. And so the people who were ruling it wanted to keep it that way. So he actually sent Nehemiah with protection as he went out. And look at the conflict he has. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and horrible knight should be here, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Nehemiah hadn't even started building the walls or repairing Jerusalem when he faced opposition. He was just on the journey. He hadn't even started doing what he felt he was supposed to do, and there was already opposition. They were provincial leaders. They were under the governance of the king, and they aired their disapproval straight away. What are you doing? Here's the letter. And they got angry because he was seeking the welfare of a people that they despised and they didn't want to see rise up. And in two weeks' time, we're going to look more at opposition in depth. But for now, I want you to know that in all likelihood, it will happen. Why? Because if you're stepping out of faith on a godly vision, there's a real enemy who does not want you to fulfill it. And in a way, that's comforting. Because when you face some opposition, in a way, you're like, okay, I might be on the right track. Because it isn't just plain sailing. There is going to be an element of opposition. It might be from a friend, it might be from a colleague, but it will most likely come, and usually, before you even start acting out what you feel God's put on your heart. It might be as simple as a trusted friend and you just share something that's been burning on your heart and you're just like, I can't wait to do this. They're like, but why would you care about that? I was just so excited. I got deflated by a friend who, who I shared it with. Maybe you have a vision for cleaning up your neighborhood and just as you share with a close friend or people on your road, they say, but what a waste of time. What difference are you gonna make? And you're just so excited about seeing your neighborhood clean and it just gets destroyed in one moment. Maybe you share a plan that you have with an investor and they say, but why would I ever invest in that? That's pathetic. You're so excited and there's gonna be some opposition. Don't let that hinder you. Keep, ask, keep seeking God and let him handle the rest. One thing I would, however, say is that if everyone you talk to including those you admire and respect, don't think it's a good idea, maybe you should reconsider. <laughs> so there's going to be an element of opposition, but if you, if you speak to Ian, and if you speak to a close friend, you speak to your husband or wife, and everyone you talk to just gives you this weird look and just says, mm, I just don't know if that's <laughs> a proper vision, maybe, just maybe, you should reconsider. So there's an element where you could be off your rocker and you need help to realign, but invariably what God does is he brings some people alongside you to back you and support you. You're going to face opposition, but he brings someone who just says, I see that. I see your heart. I see your vision. I'm prepared to help you live that out. So we see how important this backing was for Nehemiah. 
he had the king's approval, he had these other people with him, and although he faced opposition, he was able to say, but listen, this letter is actually from the king, and by the way, I've got these guards with me to prove that he cares about my vision, and I'm moving forward with it. And it's just so helpful for us when we're doing the research and what we feel God's put on our hearts, it's so helpful for us to have chatted to some friends, to chat it to a pastor, one of the elders, so when we share it, if someone says we're crazy, you can say, but, but actually the exciting thing is there's people on board. These people are with me in this vision that I feel God's put on my heart. The other thing I want you to notice, it's another small phrase. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Now, if Nehemiah had wanted to do it for probably their own people or others, they would have been up for it. But what displeased them is that they looked down on the people of Israel. And I would say, in religious circles, and I say religious rather than Christ-following, it's, it's easy to be religious rather than Christ-following, you may have people shoot down the people you want to reach in your vision. That's very sad because God loves everyone. We're on an even playing field. But maybe you have a passion to help the prostitutes in Zimbabwe. And you go and share this, and people are like, but they're living in sin. Why the heck would you care about them? But actually, that's precisely who Jesus cares about but we can so easily get into this high and mighty way of thinking as Christ follows that we live in perfection. Maybe you have a heart to go to the nightclubs to see drunk people's lives changed. People are like, but why would you go there? They're wasting their lives. They drive dangerously. Why would you care about them? It's because Jesus cares about them. But you might face opposition and may well be from people within the church walls. Maybe you want to lead a Bible study at government offices or the city of Harare. Maybe at the police station. You chat to people about it, and they're like, there is no hope in seeing those people changed. Do not waste your time with the Bible study there. But that's exactly where Jesus wants you to be, to see lives changed in that place. So press on, even if the people on your heart are people that are looked down upon by friends, by family, by people you've spoken to in church, press on, because Jesus cares about each and every person in this world, everyone. We're all on a level playing field, and but for Christ changing our lives, we're in the same boat. It's so easy, particularly for those of us who've been Christ followers for a long time, and we look at our lives and we go, we don't really do that much wrong, although we do do a lot wrong. We have a tendency to think that we're better than other people. Such a challenge for us to realize that, but for Jesus Christ, we would be in the same place as everyone else. So friends, on this one, you must understand that there is a real enemy, the devil, who does not want to see the vision that God's put on your life fulfilled. He does not. He wants to keep you ineffective and he wants you to keep living to 75 but be dead from 25 to 75. He wants to see you ineffective for Christ on earth and he will do everything he can and it may be from people's words. Quick challenge on that one. You may have heard the story before. It's a starfish and there was a little boy and there's actually a foundation, the starfish foundation that's been started on the back of it but there was a little boy and there was a, an abnormal tide that brought all these starfish onto the beach and they were just dying. And so there was this little boy and he would reach down, he'd pick up the starfish and he would throw it into the sea and he'd walk along a bit and he'd pick up another one and throw it into the sea. And there was this person walking down the beach who watched this for a while and then he said, why are you so stupid? There's thousands of starfish. What's your few that you throw back? What difference is it gonna make? And the little boy steps down and he picks up one, throws it in, he says, well, it made a difference to that one. Picked up another one, and he did the same. And why do I share that? It's because there's a tendency for us to think what, 
what difference can our little vision or the little thing we want to change make in a global scale? Makes a difference to the one you touch. Makes a difference to your road if it's a cleanup. Makes a difference to your office if it's your office. So go for it. Ask God and go for it. Nehemiah 2 verse 11. He arrives in Jerusalem, his old land. So I went up to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. A vision from God will cost you. There'll be a cost. There may be time, maybe monetary resources, there may be friendships, but it will cost you. Godly vision will always cost you something. For Nehemiah, he left his family in all likelihood uh, back in Susa and he headed across to Jerusalem. Yes, he wasn't there the whole time. He traveled backwards and forwards. We know that, but it would have cost him. Cost him maybe some standing in society that he was in. Definitely cost him monetary. Definitely. Definitely cost him time. So there was cost to seeing the vision God put on his heart come to pass. So I just want each of us to know that it will be impossible for us to live out a vision-filled life without a cost to ourselves. Impossible. Whether it's a vision for your marriage, a vision for your family, vision that's a larger one, you need to count the cost because there will be a cost. Be a cost in time, might be a cost in what people think, might be a monetary cost. So be aware of that and then step out in faith. Next one, verse 12, as we go along. Then he does something interesting. He gets up at night, so he stays in Jerusalem for a few days, and then he wants to scope out the city walls and see what it's like. So he does it at night. We'll share a bit more on that in a little bit, and he goes to explore what God has shown him, to research the situation. He's had this vision from God to say, I want to see Jerusalem rebuilt, but he hasn't seen it. It's a long journey away, so now he scopes out the land. And it takes him a long time. We're going to read the story together. Look what he did. He arose with a few men with me. Notice before I said where he had some support. He had support from the king. He also had some people with him, some close friends who were with him checking it out. So he had some men with me. And I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. He was still exploring. He wasn't ready yet to share. He wanted to know everything about the vision God had put on his heart. There was no animal with me but the one which I rode. He just had the one as he traveled. I went up by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring to the dung gate. It's actually called that because that's where they threw all the waste. It wasn't a nice gate to be near <laughs> in Jerusalem. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So you get this picture of someone painstakingly walking through the rubble, exploring each gate, what is it gonna take for this vision to come to life? What's it gonna take for me to see this through, for me to see it to completion? Sorry. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken and destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. It's really interesting if you look at the route that he took because of the animal that was on him, because of the rubble, he had to do a huge detour around the parts that he wanted to look at. And you can look at that and you can explore that. So it took time and he was serious about getting exactly what was wrong with the walls and the surrounding gates. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall. This is when he, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate. So this is where he had to do a huge loop to get to exactly where he was supposed to. What I wanna share on this is that Nehemiah was serious about doing the personal exploration of the vision God had given to him before he shared it with anyone else. 
And for what God puts on your heart, I want to challenge us to be people who Ian shared a bit about it last week, but who take time, who see what it's going to take to get to the end, to see our vision come to pass. So that's why he did it. That's why he took the time. Why did he go at night? I think probably two reasons. Number one, he obviously didn't want his own people to really see what he was doing before he could share the story. But also you must remember, most of Jerusalem was broken down and there was a huge amount of different people groups very much against the Jewish people living in amongst that area. So there was definitely a danger to him, to him raising the alarms of why he was exploring before he actually started out on the mission that God had called him to. When it comes to the vision you feel God putting on your heart, I know he's put it on some of yours already, and I know he's going to through these series that we're at. Have you done in-depth personal research? What's the current situation? What will it take to bring it to completion? What will it cost in time and resources? What people would you like to partner with? Is there a need for the vision that you have? Maybe you're sitting and you're going, I just have a vision to start a surf school, and I'm just desperate to do it. Well, obviously, Harare is not going to be the place to do it uh, because there isn't a beach. So maybe then you'd go, okay, well, either this vision is for a different time or maybe God is asking me to go to a place where there's a beach. But it's so important that we actually say, is there a need for our vision where we are? Or is it actually for someone else? We need to ask God that because maybe he's moving us somewhere different. Who will be served by your vision? Who will be reached? Who will be touched by your vision? Verse 17. So he now sits down with the people. He sits down with the leaders. I skipped it over here, but let me just read it to you in verse 16. And the officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing. I hadn't yet told the Jewish people, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. A vision from God should be clearly shared. Look at how Nehemiah shares what God's put on his heart. He does it in a brilliant way with such clarity. Look what he says. He says, firstly, the problem. If we go to the back over here, he says, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So he's stating the obvious. He's saying this is the problem. This is what you'll need to do one day when you share and you want to happen, uh, want it to happen. This is the problem. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. He's saying this is what we're facing as a result of the destruction. The walls are destroyed and because of that, we're a mockery. Let's solve the problem of us being a mockery and build this wall and get it to its rightful place. And then he obviously, they get excited. So this is what he does. An example could be, maybe you've got a vision like Ian shared about showers, about giving people hot showers. Number of people doing this around the world where they've had a dream to say, we would love street people to have an amazing warm shower and new clothes. So they have these trucks with beautiful hot showers and they just travel around and they give people dignity by letting them have a shower. But look at how their process would go when they shared their vision. They would say people are dirty and smelly and they have no opportunity to have a shower. That's the problem. These people who I want to reach have no opportunity to have a hot shower. Second thing, who will help me make this a reality? 
So he's talking to the Jewish people saying, guys, who is going to help make this a reality? And his reasoning at the end where he says we don't want them to face derision, your reasoning would be it's not right that people can't have a hot shower and I want to make this a reality. So he's, he's sharing it very clearly. This is the problem. This is how I want you to help. And this will be the end result. And derision means ridicule or mockery. I had to look it up because I didn't really know. So uh, <laughs> means ridicule or mockery. A lot of you guys probably knew what it is, okay? I wasn't very good at English, so don't beat me up afterwards. Basically, he didn't want the Jewish people to be a race full of shame. They were now a shameful people who had gone into exile, who had been, everything had been taken from what they had. And God was very much associated with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They were his people. And they were the ones who showed what God was doing in the world. Now that Jesus has come, now that Christ has come, we're all grafted into the vine. We all have equal value. But you know the beauty of, of what Nehemiah was doing? Is in our lives, we get to help people have dignity. In our vision, we get to, people, get to help people not be seen as a mockery. We get to do that with all people because Jesus' heart is to bring dignity, it's to bring life, it's to bring value when there isn't any. Near why I wanted to do that for the Jewish people, we get to do it for all people groups. And God will get you to do that and will put on your heart to help people have dignity. A godly vision will be one that brings people out of shame, out of being marginalized, mocked, and ridiculed. A godly vision will move people to a place of dignity, honor, and value. So God pulls people out of their shame and disgrace. And then look at what he says here, verse 18. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And then they had their response. Testimony is a very powerful thing. Nehemiah shared the problem, and then he said, but actually, do you want to know what God's already done to get us to this point? Look at what he's done. I could have been killed by the king, but the king gave me approval. I could have been killed along the way by people who didn't want to get you, but I got clearance all the way, and now I get to share this with you. So he shared a testimony, and testimony is powerful because it's something that cannot be denied. When God's done something in your life, when he's done something special, when he's come through for you in a special way, it can't be denied. It's happened, and it's your story. It's your testimony. And I know for each of you, when you step out in faith and you go for what God's called you to, there's going to be testimony of him coming through in miraculous ways. And he will use those stories as a further way of gaining traction, as a further way of seeing his vision come to pass in your life. What's the result of doing all of those? And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. just again with, with Trev's one and others, it's amazing that when you share this, when God's in it, when he's part of it, when people know and when they've seen what's happened already, you suddenly see people come to the party. That's what these guys did. He shared and they were like, please let us help. An example of a vision from the Lord, you'll start to see people get excited about it and they'll start to want to be involved because God is behind it. So a vision from God, it should be clearly shared. And then here, Verse 20, when it starts to come to life. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build. And this is when he's sharing of people who gave opposition. But you have no right or claim in Jerusalem. Then Eliashib, 
Got it right. The high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and they set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of a hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zacho, the son of Imri, built. And the, next, the rest of chapter three talks about person after person after person who comes to make this vision a reality. And so if God is in the vision that you have, if he's given it to you, it's gonna take on a life of itself. And that's the exciting part. When you just start to see people get involved in it, it's almost running away with itself because God is taking control of this. People will be drawn to it it'll, and they'll start to wanna be involved. And you'll need people because if God's vision is bigger than yourself, you'll never be able to do it by yourself. So the vision God puts on your heart, you will need people because God never made us to do things alone. He always made us to do things in team. Always makes us do things in team. And so he'll do the same for you. And the beauty of chapter three, if you read through it, I'm not gonna go through it now, but if you read through the rest of chapter three, is that it shows every part of society from the high priest to the goldsmiths, from rulers of areas to merchants. Some built close to their homes, they could only build a little bit. Some people built hundreds of meters, but everyone played their part. They were dedicated to see the vision come to pass. And archeological excavation shows that the job was messy. It's so interesting. It wasn't a beautiful wall. So we sit here going, wow, Nehemiah, you built the walls of Jerusalem. But do you know that it was really messy? They didn't have big resources. The Jewish people were downtrodden. So they half built on top of the old wall, half was knocked down and they rebuilt it. But everyone didn't really have the professional trade, but they all got stuck in. And so it was messy, but it fulfilled its purpose. And his vision came to pass. And so none of us, None of our vision is gonna to come to pass perfectly. And if it involves other people and ourselves, it definitely won't be perfect because all of us are imperfect. But it's gonna get done. It's going to happen. It had the desired effect of building and growing in excitement for the Jewish people and for Jerusalem. It's also interesting that some people didn't wanna get involved. I don't have it here, but if you've got your Bibles, if you skip to verse five, so interesting. It says, everyone was building in verse three, and next to them, the Tekoites, however you say it, they repaired. But the noble people, the wealthy Tekoites, the nobles, would not stoop to serve Nehemiah or the Lord. It says their Lord. It could be Nehemiah, it could be God. But they were just too important. They were too important to get their hands dirty, so they wouldn't stoop to do the dirty work. They were special. They were very, very special people. But I believe that years on, with Jerusalem built, with the walls built, I believe they would have looked back and been sad that they were never part of it. And taking part in God's vision is dirty work. It's messy, it's not easy. We're about people's souls. We're about seeing lives changed and we're all messy people. But I just wanna say, that when there comes opportunities to get your hands dirty in whatever way that looks like to you, maybe associating people you wouldn't usually, maybe genuinely getting dirty <laughs> if you really don't like it, um, whatever it is, I just wanna challenge you to get involved and not miss out and not sit back in 10, 15, 20 years later and go, I just wished I'd got stuck in and been a part of what God did. Get your hands dirty in what God's calling you to do in whichever way that looks. 
And as I close off, the result was a vision starting to be realized that originated many miles away. God spoke to Nehemiah many, many miles away, completely different city. It took an openness to being used by God. It took prayer. It took humility. It was costly. It involved research. It involved others. But it had God's breath all over it. And it changed history. God could put things on your heart today. He could do it in these next few weeks. Maybe he's already done it. Could change the course of history. And it will just take you stepping out. It will take you realizing there will be a cost. There will be opposition. Thinking about it clearly, clearly doing in-depth explanation. And then going for it. And seeing God do the impossible in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you're the ultimate vision giver. From the close at home things like marriage and family to the marketplace, employers, employees, businesses, to the community, to the city. Thank you that you want to see the vision you put on our hearts come to pass more than we ever could. And I ask that you would stir up vision in our lives. I ask that you'd stir it up, things that you put in our hearts 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. You'd bring to the surface things that you put on our heart. You'd bring to the surface dreams that we had, that we faced some opposition and we never pushed through on. You'd show us afresh areas where we haven't wanted to get our hands dirty, but you do, because you don't want us to miss out on the excitement that's ahead. Lord, stir it up in us. Holy Spirit, right now, wherever we are on the journey of faith, put it into our minds. Refresh, reawaken. Because Lord Jesus, I don't want us to be a people, a house, a church, where we die at 25, but are only buried at 75. Lord Jesus, I want to be people who live on fire radically, in faith, going for it for you all the days of our lives. And Lord, I know that you have special things ahead for us as a house, as a church, as a people. And I know it's going to take faith. I know it's going to take courage. I know it's going to cost us. But the cost will be nothing compared to what you do. So just right now, the Holy Spirit's going to be dropping things into your heart. He's going to be dropping a people group into your heart. It's going to be dropping a place, a problem, something new that's needed. It's going to be dropping a family into your heart who are nowhere near Lord Jesus. God's going to put them on your heart for you to build friendship with, for you to love, for you to care for, and to see them come to faith. It's putting on some of your hearts a relationship that's been destroyed, that looks like there's no hope. And he's putting that back there to say there is always hope. There is a vision to see this restored and it can happen. Maybe for some of you, you're sitting here and you're going, well, it's been great visiting, but uh, I, I'm not even a Christ follower yet. <laughs> I'm still exploring. 
And I just want to say to you, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it, and it's true. And right now, he's calling to you, and he's saying, I have life for you, real life. You will find it in nowhere else, in no one else, in nothing else. You will find it nowhere else but me. I'd love to chat to you afterwards if, that, if that's you. But Lord Jesus, I ask as we continue through this series, that you would do the impossible amongst us. We would see the miraculous like we've never seen before. And we would see your kingdom extend in our families, in our friendships, in the schools we're part of, in the businesses we're part of, and in the city. In your incredible name we pray. Amen.